Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Novel. Before we begin, this series features remarkable stories told by remarkable people. Some of the events they discuss and some of the words they use to describe their experiences can be, how shall I say this, quite colourful. This programme contains strong language and descriptions of an adult nature. Listener discretion is advised. The second show, it was the Marie Maison Blanche show or the Mary Whitehouse show. (laughs) And she was auditioning. She needed people for her show. Well, as it went along, we did all these numbers like we were auditioning. So we did, oh, you ought to be in pictures. You'd be lovely to see as Da Vinci's Mona Lisa. And we all came out in different pictures. And then we've got these whole picture frames and we're all in different pictures. We walk down the front of the stage, and then when we turn around, we've got nothing on our backs. And she goes, bare bums? Well, the artist wouldn't paint the back of the picture. This is Lavinia Co-op. Lavinia is one of London's longest-serving drag acts, a part of the radical drag troupe The Blue Lips, which emerged in the 1970s. He is a true performer, bursting into snippets from the vaudeville classics that packed the Blue Lips' riotous shows. His story spans decades of queer history, as well as two continents. But the thing that has driven him through it all, pushed him on from city to city, is this desire to perform, and the alter ego of Lavinia, whose creation catapulted him into new worlds. From the team at Novel... This is Call Me Mother, a collection of conversations with queer trailblazers. I'm Sean Fay. In each episode, I'm talking to a different queer pioneer whose story teases out a nuance of our shared LGBTQ plus history. By telling these stories, we'll show the richness and wisdom of our queer community through the ages. And in each anecdote from the past, we'll find strength for the present day. In this episode, the Myriad Chronicles of Lavinia Co-op. We start our story in the middle, at the Tabernacle in Notting Hill, London, 
1977. It's a striking terracotta former church that now serves as an arts and performance space for West London. The place is packed to the rafters with the audience eagerly awaiting a brand new act. This is the Blue Lips' first performance of their first show, The Ugly Duckling. They take to the stage a gaggle of striking drag queens and captivate the audience from the first line. They had a machine in the corner. It had a a neon little lights that went up to the top. So when the sound went, you could see this thing fluttering up. So as the sound got loud, it would go up and up. Well, when they started to respond to the show, they were shouting and screaming. They couldn't believe it. Soon, the noise got so loud, it blew through the soundometer and knocked out the lights entirely. When that clapometer, <laughs> and it'd go cut right out. No lights. We had to get light. We found light. Go downstairs. Where's the guy? Oh, turn it on again. So the audience were all just thrown just, into darkness yeah. by the fact that they'd gotten yeah, too and then, rowdy. <laughs> and then they, uh, and then it turned on again. And it happened a couple of times, but it was it became part of the show in a way. This was the birth of the Blue Lips drag troupe a striking group of androgynous queens. But it was also a foundational moment for Lavinia. It was a moment of recognition that propelled him forwards into a wild life. And it all started with this onstage moment of self-acceptance. It was a great place for me to be myself. It's not trying to be funny. It's funny if the lines are funny. Believe yourself It's a comedy thing where you you just believe your jokes rather than trying to act camp. So that's the big moment where a decades-long drag career begins. But of course, its roots stretch back much earlier to a block of 1930s flats in East London, a melting pot of cultures and religions. I grew up in a working-class, very Jewish neighbourhood, and the East End, we were the Gentiles, the Irish Catholic, and there were some great atheists downstairs. So uh, my life was full of different kinds of people. The Jewish people called it Kolditz because it was, you know, big concrete blocks, but, you know, it was home. You said you were Irish Catholic. Were your parents strict? I wouldn't say strict, but I would say that they were devout Catholics and we all went to school. I went to the church. I used to serve mass. I loved the costume. I loved all the incense and the walking around. Oh, God. As a child growing up thinking, God, there's something more. It's kind of weird, a religious experience. You can't let go of that Catholicism in some ways, but in other ways, it opened up doors to spiritualism or the psyche, the mind. Within this devout Christian upbringing, Lavinia never initially questioned his sexuality. But as a teenager, things changed. I didn't really realise till later, like until I was about 18, 17, 18, thinking, you know, I like kissing girls. I feel emotional with girls. But there was no more than that. That was very confusing in a way. This was the late 1960s, and information about being gay was pretty sparse. Trying to discover that there was no information or nowhere to go. So I sort of was thinking, oh, what's this about? Is it like, it's like a disease. There's something wrong. I don't know what it is. There's no one to talk to. Oh, go to the doctor. But the doctor was no help at all. He said, oh, you're okay. What? 
you can't leave me like this. What are we going to do? He sent me to the psychiatrist. Amazing, isn't it? This kind of response, to send someone questioning their sexuality to a psychiatrist, was pretty common in those days. And unsurprisingly, it didn't resolve the feelings Lavinia had. You take a gamble, you go up the public toilet, the cottage as they call it, and that was the first time at Liverpool Street. Shit scared. A cottage was the slang name for a secret meet-up space for gay men. Homosexuality was illegal in the UK until 1967, and even then, the age of consent was 21. Just a teenager, Lavinia went underground, quite literally, to look for sexual partners. Men would meet up in underground public toilets scattered across London, like the one in Liverpool Street. It was a dangerous and illegal game, but for the young Lavinia, it was the only place he knew to go to explore the feelings he had. I wasn't even looking at sex. I didn't know what sex was or anything or how it works or anything at all. I knew that somehow that was a place. Whatever happened, I hadn't got a clue. Mutual masturbation, what can you say? (laughs) And you go, oh, wow, what an experience. Never, ever. Oh, wow. Oh, gosh, I'm different. Now I feel something that's, oh, there's a step further. Unless you experiment with some of those things, you don't know. The criminal element starts to occur where you realize that you are different and that you are underground and you're not part of everything else. Lavinia carried on in this way for a little while. The cottages brought him some excitement, but the illicit nature of them felt off. He started a teacher training course, but it didn't feel like the right fit. The lifeline came when he decided to pursue a lifelong passion for performing, just in his spare time to begin with. I was doing a bit of night classes, doing a bit of... i never done acting or singing or talking. That was amazing, you know. And then this guy there said, you know, why don't you get a job in the theatre? And I thought, what? like, as a dresser or something. So I looked at theatres and I got a job. So it was night work. Here, Lavinia entered a different place to escape. But this time, it was a pretty fabulous one. Well, that, that blew my mind. I thought, look at these theatre people. There's gay people in here. There's all different kinds. There's older and younger. There's such a a camaraderie and a friendship. There's kind of also a stereotypical, closeted, straight gay as well. All kinds of things going on. And I've never seen this. And even guys coming on to me think, no, I'm not going in the wings with you. What are you talking about? (laughs) So you were starting to learn sort of a gay culture. One day, not long into his time working as a dresser, a gay colleague invited Lavinia along to a meeting. We went up to the All Saint Inn at Notting Hill Gate and I couldn't believe it when in that space it was full of hundreds of people all milling around and talking and shouting and screaming. This was the Gay Liberation Front, a collection of campaign groups which fought for the liberation of gay people. They'd have meetups like this one to organise protests or campaigns and discuss ideas. The movement had started in New York after the Stonewall riots and spread across the UK in the early 1970s. For Lavinia, it was incredible, the idea that gay people might be able to fight for their rights. 
people were talking about things and how we were going to change the world and what we were going to do. And there were arguments and the male chauvinist pigs really take over, you know. And people were really strong and had big, powerful feelings, many ideas. It was the beginning of a sensibility of power that we have got every right to be who we are. In this melting pot of ideas, opinions and big personalities, Lavinia was also introduced for the first time to drag queens. They've got a beard and they've got blue eyeshadow with lipstick. That's wrong. So it was the beginning of seeing people that were into... They weren't radical feminists, but they were radical drag. I had real fear of doing something like that. At this point, in the early 1970s, the idea of drag just seemed so bold to Lavinia. But still, he was captivated by it. He started to get involved in the alternative theatre scene in London, subsuming himself in this radical world. And then, in 1977, London got a visit from a new drag performance troupe. There's this group called the Hot Peaches, and they came into town, and they were American from New York, and they did a very mixed group of people talking about all the things lesbian, gay mixed drag queen stuff, shows, songs, using old numbers, and you go, oh my God, call me drag queen, or the androgyny song. The Hot Peaches were a big hit in London, and amongst the performers Lavinia hung out with, it sparked an idea. Well, that was an eye-opener, to see absolute recognition on a stage of people doing their own thing. And of course, we were also developing at that time into the alternative theatre scene. So here we were saying, let us get a group together. And so the Blue Lips were born. That's coming up. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. The Blue Lips were the brainchild of Betty Bourne, who had worked with the Hot Peaches and led the new British group. 
Their style of drag is quite different from the queens you might see on the drag race runway today. For a start, it was very improvised. All the costumes were handmade, often made from bric-a-brac you might find lying around. Queen Elizabeth I's costume Danny made, all out of doilies, paper doilies and the ruffle, all made of cardboard. The whole idea was to disrupt ideas about gender, to question the idea that the clothes you wore or what you looked like meant anything at all. We weren't saying we're men or women. We were dressing up. We weren't necessarily talking about dicks mm. or um, showing off tits. What you wear, what makes it male or female? It's not. It's a piece of cloth. It's how you do it and what you do with it. How you make it impress this way or that way. The original lineup of the Blue Lips was a ragtag group of nine drag queens, including Betty, Lavinia, and their deaf friend, Diva Dan. Their shows were an explosion of energy and music, which parodied well-known songs and contemporary songs by giving them a queer twist. For instance, their first show, The Ugly Duckling, the one that brought down the house in the tabernacle, that was a kind of allegory for coming out at the time. And all the different groups of queer people you might meet along the way. It was pretty simple. The duckling comes out and is thrown out of Normality Farm, comes across the punk rocklings in the woods, and they say, be like us, radical. You know, Then he comes along and there's the drag queen saying, be like us. You know, And then he comes across the leather queens. Wherever we go, whatever we do, we're going to go through it in leather. <laughs> <laughs> in the end, along comes spring and says, you are not a duckling, you're a swan. Come out. And then you do a quick change and you're a swan, you do the dying swan and that was a bit of camp and we all did go up the disco because that's basically what's happened to us really. We've come out of the closet and into the bar or the disco. After their run of shows in London, the Blue Lips decided to go on the road for the first of many trips to Europe in 1978. In the end... We went over there, six of us in a VW van that the Hot Peaches had left us behind. Thank you very much. It was the beginning of our group. And the tour through Europe's cities introduced Lavinia and the Blue Lips to new cultures, new attitudes, new gay scenes. You could find out what was going on in the town, where the places were, what was the scene. Really, it was an eye-opener to see Amsterdam's liberality and the easygoingness of people, and that was a real turn-on. This was life for a while. Long trips, with each new show to Berlin, Amsterdam, and anywhere that would have them. Carting around the set with them from city to city, and performing in a string of alternative venues across the continent. It was a way to experience everything Europe had to offer. And Diva Dan really threw himself into it. I remember Danny saying, where's the cottages? <laughs> Danny was partially hearing, so he's like, didn't hear everything. But what he needed to know was, where's the cottages? Oh, where's the map? Show me. There's, okay, great. So yeah, that's the looking for basically the places to like hook up with people yeah. we say nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> that's the priority when arriving in a new place. <laughs> I think that hasn't really changed, actually. I think like people just do it with apps now. 
Of course, with a group of queens packed into a van together, flitting from city to city night after night, things didn't always go completely according to plan. I think we went to the Batch Cap in Frankfurt. It was the first time they really sort of left-wing kind of really alternative space and we turned up there and we're going crazy. Where's the lights? Where's this? Where's that? We've got to get the show on here. And I remember this stage was so rough and Danny's got the stilettos and she's going across and her shoe gets caught in a hole in the in the floor and she can't take her shoe out. She's so furious and it, oh, she, she takes her foot out of the shoe and she's walking around with one foot up and one foot down and furious. The whole experience created a real sense of camaraderie amongst the Blue Lips. For Lavinia, it was a confidence booster. It's come to my attention of late that there are rumours of wing in the realm. That I am perhaps not quite a hard enough worker. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Being strong and bold, you had the support of a group of people just maybe pushing it a little bit further than you would on your own. So sometimes it is really good to be with a group of people networking. By the early 80s, the Blue Lips had taken four different shows across to Europe. And with their full show, Lust in Space, a sci-fi queer extravaganza, they decided to go further. We had this really good show And at the end of all the touring, we said, what should we do? We could keep the money or should we get a ticket and go to New York as a gamble, see what happens? And we did that. In 1980, Lust in Space opened in New York, initially for one night only in somebody's loft space, but then to a more permanent home in a theatre in the East Village. We did four months in New York and two in San Francisco. Well, we at least managed to pay ourselves. But it was a real turn-on. You couldn't believe eight shows a week, we hadn't done that. But we had such a good show and we were really tight as a group. And once the shows were done, as was tradition, it was time to hit the town. The New Yorkers, when you think 81, 82, God, when you think this is just before the AIDS, New York was unbelievably sexual. You couldn't believe going into a bar Uh, There was no conversation. Do you want to fuck? (laughs) Still reeling from the fever dream of the US trip, the Blue Lips returned home with new vigour. We managed to get some reviews and then when you come back to London, it was a New York review. It made it look like you were doing something. (laughs) And it's all about rubbish. Despite the huge boost performing in the Blue Lips gave Lavinia, by the late 1980s, cracks were beginning to show. Each tour put a huge strain on the relationships between the performers. They'd return home exhausted and at loggerheads, only to regroup to start the next show. It wasn't sustainable. I just said, I love you and I let you go. (laughs) I love you and I let you go. I love you and I let you go. Because it was so in my mind, uh, dealing with Betty and John John and the way things were, and thinking, no, it's time to have a break. And another shadow cast its darkness over that time. The ongoing impact of AIDS. Lots of friends died. People that were blue lips too. I remember going to New York and my friend saying, the windows are not dressed the same as they were. All those queens are dead. 
How many people? Ay, ay, ay. Still computing this loss, in the early 1990s, Lavinia decided he needed a change in his life. I thought, I'm going to go to New York. And everyone was dying there too. It was no different to here and there. So I thought, take a gamble, get out. Lavinia ended up staying in New York for two decades. He got work cleaning and doing odd jobs. But he soon found that, much to his surprise, he could make a decent amount of money doing drag. You could dress up, add a little bit of drag. You could make a little bit of money. Oh, that's $75. This was the Club Kids era, the next generation of queer performance in New York, a movement which included people like RuPaul and Suzanne Barsh. Their whole vibe was all things outrageous and fabulous. Oh, Suzanne Barsh, the Copacabana. Oh, she's doing another one called Jungle. The Tunnel, Michael Alec, Disco 2000, the USA Club. Oh, they've got me in a, in a box that swings from a rope. My God, working different nightclubs. Beyond the club nights, drag acts became a popular feature of the New York party scene. Companies would pay huge sums for lavish events peppered with performers. For a drag artist who had begun performing in a converted church in Notting Hill, this really was something else. And life sped on like this for a while, until the bubble Lavinia had found himself in burst. And then it started to go down with the 2008, the crash, the financial crash. You go, ah, oh, we, this is America. How much money you got? What social security can you get? What healthcare have you got? It is the hardest place. It is a hard, tough city. With the global financial crisis hitting the pockets of Lavinia's clients, he decided to head back to London and return to the area of Dalston, where he grew up. He found a city much changed, but one he could still call home. And he's not quite ready to hang up his stilettos just yet. I worked with Ginger Johnson and he got me together to make a show we did at the Purcell Room. It was a solo, a one-off. And I know it's a lot of work, a solo. And some really good ideas came out of it. So I thought, no, there's still a little bit more to do. Drag has become so popular and every like, lots of people seem to want to do it. Do you enjoy kind of meeting younger people doing drag and learning about how the craft has changed or like having that exchange? Oh, what a turn-on. When you see other people that are coming up, always was the same with the blue lips. Getting a new person to come into the show, oh, this is someone that's really turned on by doing drag. They've got some sensibility there. They really love it. And the same when you see young people, you go, wow, look at that look. If you could talk to your younger self, what piece of advice would you give them that you wish you'd known or someone had told you when you were younger, looking back on your life, like maybe right at the beginning when you first got involved in Gay Liberation Front? God, advice you'd give to yourself. It's funny when you're younger, you're really experimenting and playing and you do put yourself through stuff. Going for a relationship is, to me, a lot of really where it's at. And you often sidetrack it by working. So theatre's been work and has kept me alive in many ways, you know, and meeting people and things like that and brought me out and made me stretch and grow and I got bigger and stronger. 
But having relationships is really, and it's all the people that you work with that are relationships too. There's so many different kinds of So I think to me, I'd go, keep your eye and your focus on relationships with people. Call Me Mother is hosted by me, Sean Fay, with production from Pippa Smith. Rosie Collier, Sean Glynn, and Max O'Brien are executive producers. Research by Megan Oyinka. Production management from Cherie Houston and Charlotte Wolfe. Austin Mitchell is our creative director of production. Mike Lee Rao is our managing editor. Gavin Haynes is our head of development. Willard Foxton is our creative director of development. Sound design, mixing, and scoring by Daniel Kempson. Music supervision by Pippa Smith and Nicholas Alexander. Our theme music is composed by Eli Block. Special thanks to Saskia Edwards, Oren Rosenbaum, Shelby Schenkman, and all the team at UTA. For more from Novel, visit novel.audio. 